0: Good morning, good morning. Smile at me. I deserve a smile for Mother's Day. <laughs> I just want to read you this little tribute for Mother's Day. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with tears and disappointments, we love you. Forgive us when we say foolish things we don't mean to make this harder for you than it is. To those who are foster mums, mentor mums and spiritual mums, we desperately need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hand of their own mother, we acknowledge your experience and pray for you. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we are believing with you. To those who are stepmothers, We walk with you on this complex path. To those of you who are grandmothers, yay, we rejoice with you. To those who have emptier nests in this upcoming year, we feel your pain. To those of you who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising ones, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. And we celebrate motherhood in all its forms. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand for all the mums. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, um, this time of year, I know, I don't know, there's just such an ache in my heart for my own mom, And I know that many of us have probably lost our mums already. Um, it's a funny thing. You know, we were at the conference this week. And um, out of the blue, they started singing, um, Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. And as soon as they started singing it, because my mum was a soprano singer, and she used to sing that at the top of her voice all the time. And of course, I'm on the front row with the pastors, trying to look like a together pastor. And they played that and I just lost it, you know. And um thank God Katrina came and gave me a cuddle. She goes, That was my mum's favorite song too. Like it's just so hard. And then after the conference, you know, I went to the back and Jessica, my daughter, was there and she said, Mom, how hard was that to listen to that song? You know, she's so weird that nanny's not here. It's so weird that I just can't drop in and see her, you know, and it's been like six years since she's gone, but it feels like you could just touch her still. It's so it's such a weird feeling to lose your mom. And, um, you know, so we just want to just bless those that have lost mums. Um, I know Katrina, you still feel it yourself. You know, another part of mothering is really like spiritual mothering. And um, I'm just honouring this morning. I want to honour some people this morning because it's a huge thing to spiritually mother like, I know what it's like to mother this church as a spiritual mother. And there are many women in our church that mother people. Yeah. See, mother is, motherhood isn't just about giving birth to a child and wiping their snotty nose and having food all over you and having sleepless nights. And, you know, motherhood is so much more. When you give birth to a child, you're giving birth to a purpose. You're giving birth to a soul Psalm 139 says that we are all individual, that we all have a purpose, that we've all been specifically designed by God in the dark places of the wombs of our mother, that He knew everything about us before we were formed in our mother's womb, and that He designed us, intricately designed us, uniquely designed us to have a unique expression and a purpose on the earth, and the most incredible thing that a mother can do is recognize not just, oh, my daughter's got pretty hair and nice eyes and, you know, oh, you know, she you know she's wonderful and, you know, oh, i got to get her educated and i got to do this. The most important thing a mother can do is to recognize the purpose on that child's life, the individual calling and purpose on that child's life, and then spend their whole lives warring for it until they see the fruit of that on the earth. See, it's not just about giving birth from a womb. It's about giving birth from our whole being. And you as gentlemen, you're giving birth with us. You know, we might just give birth in the physical and you you get to hold the baby afterwards. But you tell me, the minute you hold that baby, hey, Jeff, the minute you hold that child, the minute you just held your son, you know what I mean? Like it's inside her and you kind of feel a connection. Don't lie, gentlemen. I know that you kind of go, and they go, oh, it's kicking, it's kicking. I go, oh, yeah, lovely. You know, that's nice. Because, you know what I mean? Like, you're kind of trying to be connected, but it's in there. And it's like, can you just show me the thing, and then I might get connected. But the minute that baby comes out, isn't that right, gentlemen, you look into the face of that child, and you know that you have a mandate from God to raise this child in the ways of God and discover the destiny and the purpose that's on this child. It's an incredible responsibility, but it's the most wonderful thing that God could have ever given us. I mean, he could have done it another way. I don't know. He could have just made them seeds in the garden and they grow and we just pick them. I don't know. He could have done it any way that he wanted to. But he chose to put them in our bodies. He chose you know a man in the garden and he went and he took the rib out of man he could have made a man and a woman but he was making something in his own image and god is one god is one and so he took the man he made the man in the dust of the earth and then he reached in and took the closest part to the heart the rib and he pulled it out of man, and out of man he made two beings. He made woman. And out of the very nature and character of God, which was one, one character, one nature, so God was, you know, strong and, and dependent and, and all those things that a man is, and he was nurturing and he was loving and he was kind and he was gentle and he was soft and he was emotional like a woman. He was all those things. And so he has man, and then he takes man's rib. Do you know you actually have one less rib? It's a, it's a medical fact. Men have one less rib. I used to sing a country song says, I want my rib back. <laughs> Along with, I want my dog back and all that. You know. you know, he takes this rib and it's the closest thing to the heart of God. It's the heart of God. He he, he pulls out of this unique creation, he pulls out of it the very heart of God and he creates a woman. He creates what he calls the crown of all creation. And then he gives this woman the most incredible mandate and gift that he could possibly give her. He gives her a womb. And he gives her a womb because he says that the purpose in Genesis, he speaks about the purpose of man and woman to be upon the earth is to multiply, to increase, to fill the earth and to have dominion. That's our purpose. First and foremost, as God-loving Christian people, our first and foremost work that we have to do is to multiply increase, um, take dominion over the earth. That's our job. And that was the job that they were given in the Garden of Eden. God gave it to man, God gave it to woman, and he put the seed within the womb of the woman that she might bring forth humanity. She might bring forth, hum- there's no other way for humanity to get here except through the womb of a woman. He gave her that incredible gift to bring forth humanity. But it wasn't just so she could give birth to snotty-nosed kids and chase them around and complain all day about that I haven't had any sleep. It was so that she could fill the earth and multiply and take dominion. So that means that they started in the Garden of Eden. God gave them boundaries to start with. But then they were to keep multiplying, keep filling the earth, and keep taking dominion until the whole earth was filled with this glorious family of God, these people that he could pour out his love on. That was the role that he gave us. And that role hasn't changed. See, through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his redemption, all things have been given back to us. And that includes our, our, our original mandate, the original design, the original mandate to be impregnated, to give birth, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to take dominion and to multiply until we increase, until the whole earth is full of the glory of God. See, when Jesus Christ died, he gave that back to us. So no longer were we just going to give birth in the natural, but we're going to give birth in the spiritual. No longer are we just going to have children that we don't know what to do with and we don't know what their purpose is and we'll just, you know, by chance they might grow up and be something amazing, I don't know. But we as Christians have this incredible mandate to birth these children, to raise these children in the kingdom of God to find out the purposes and plans that God has for their lives. Pray them through. Birth it in the spirit realm through intercession and prayer and war until those children become all that they were meant to be by God. We fight devils on every level. We fight everything that comes against them in prayer and intercession. And we stand for what we know God has for them. I'm talking about Children and spiritual children. Talking about those that you mentor, those that you give birth to. I'm talking to the men in this room about those that God has given you as children. That it's up to you to spiritually birth them into all the purposes that God has on their lives. Amen. It says, behind every great man is his mother. (laughs) Um, Well, I hope so. Someone imagined once the mothers of these well-known sons making the following comments. Mrs. Morse, the the mother of Sam Morse, the inventor of the Morse code, once turned to her son and said, Sam, stop tapping your fingers on the table. It's driving me crazy. (laughs) Mrs. Lindbergh, the mother of Charles Lindbergh, who took a 30... three-and-a-half-hour, 3,600-mile 3, alone in a single-engine plane and received the highest military declaration for the Medal of Honour for that feat, Mrs Lindbergh says to Charles, Charles, can't you do anything by yourself? <laughs> Mrs Washington, the mother of George Washington, who oversaw the finance of a strong, well-known... well Sorry, a strong, well-financed national government Mrs. Washington says, George. Uh, She says, George never did have a head for money. (laughs) Mrs. Armstrong, Neil Armstrong's mother. Neil has no more business taking flying lessons than the man on the moon. (laughs) You know, we do influence our children. And it's so important that we see their giftedness and their calling and their purpose and their destiny. The children in our lives, the spiritual children... In our lives, whoever God has given us to mother, it's our job, it's our job as spiritual parents, as as grandparents, as as those who've been given this gift, this this incredible gift to speak into the lives of our children, to recognize their gifts and speak to them. I, I remember in the early days when you know when we first pioneered the church, we were in a housing commission area. And it was pretty intense, let me tell you that. And the warfare against us was pretty intense. And, and the stuff around our lives, we had death threats and all kinds of stuff and witches putting things in our mailbox. It was just like, yeah, it was really unusual. And, um, and we knew that for us to live in this realm that God had called us to live in, we had to raise daughters that understood that. We knew we, we we could protect them to a certain degree, but then it came to the point where we had to teach them how to defend themselves and how to fight in the spirit realm. And especially when you look at children, you, you know your children that have got these individual gifts. And where four of my daughters are prophetic. So, if you look in the Bible, there's Philip and his four prophetic daughters. There they are. They're there. And, you know, they're all prophetic, so they all see, they all feel. From a very young age, they could see, they could feel, you know. And so one of the things that we did is that before they went to school in the mornings for a number of years, while we're in this intense place birthing the church, so to speak, in, the, in birth pangs, you know, it's messy, isn't it? Those of you that have given birth, it's like messy, So we were right in the middle of the blood and guts of it, so to speak. And so what we did is that we would get the kids up earlier for school than they had to get up. Gemma loved this part. And um, Jessica has fond memories of it too. And uh, we would say, we're going to have communion as a family before you go to school. And we would call them into the lounge room, you know, put the communion out, they're half asleep. And we would just pray and we would read scriptures over them. We would have communion together as a family before they even went to school. And then we would know that they're in covenant with God for their whole day. Do you know what I mean? It was this thing that we just felt, this is the way that we're going to do spiritual warfare. And the other thing was, you know, teaching our children how to defend themselves in a, in a crazy world. How do you remain a Christian in a crazy world? How do you, how do you defend yourself when you can see in the spirit realm, you know, I know that there's many of you probably got kids that, that say things like, you know, "Mummy, I had a, a nightmare last night and I saw this and that. But, you know, they may not be nightmares. They may actually see. And, they, and then we have to teach them how do you see Those things and not be afraid. How do you see those things? How do you experience those things? And we don't just write it off, oh, it's just a nightmare. You'll be better tomorrow. And they have another nightmare the next night and the next night and the next night. Until we realize that, hang on, there's a bit of a pattern here. And so this used to happen to my girls quite a lot. So from a very early age, you know, we would teach them. Psalm 91 was one of the scriptures that we would teach them. You know, it's all about, you know, God defending you and God coming against your enemies and, you know, God protecting you and living under the shadow of the Almighty. And and we were just, you know, even Gemma, when she's 21 now, even when she was like, I think you were about four, weren't you, Gemma? When we started, I think oh, you are about four. And she'd wake up every night and she'd see things because she has a gift of seeing. She has the gift of seeing the Spirit, an incredible prophetic gift, and she'd see things. And so I started teaching a psalm. 91 by memory and we'd write a little bit up each night and I'd stick it on a wall and she couldn't read or anything but I would just read it to her and she'd remember that one little part and then I would talk about that one little part of Psalm 91 and say what does that mean to you Gem? How can I break it down so that as a four-year-old you get what it means to live under the shadow of the Almighty? What does that mean? And then we would talk about how big God is and, and, and how little she is and how if she just stands right where he is, she would be under his shadow and then he'd be looking down around and she'd be safe and she didn't have to be scared because her daddy God was wrapping around her with his wraparound presence and and I just explained it to her in the most simplest of ways and, and she, she grew up learning how to fight for herself in those areas because she had the word of God and she was armed with a sword. You know, we have to prepare and raise our children and our spiritual children to live in the world that we live in. How do they, how do they defend themselves? How do they, in public school systems, you know, how do they say, no, this is the way that we do it in our house. And, you know, this is, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. You know, I don't want to dress like a boy. I'm a girl. Thank you very much. And and that's what God made me to be. And that's what I am. And that's my identity because I know who I am in Christ. Do you know what I mean? Like we need to really just put that into our children, into our spiritual children. Uh, 2 Timothy one five. It talks about, and, and Phil mentioned this about Timothy, and he says, I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure is in you too. Your sincere faith, sincere faith, sincere faith was in your grandmother and your mother. And so Timothy became one of the greatest disciples one of the greatest mentors of Paul. But long before Paul came along, there was a grandmother and there was a mother who had sincere faith. They weren't hypocritical about their faith. They didn't come to church on Sundays and be Christians and then go home and live any old way. They had sincere faith. They had sincere faith. And when your children actually see that you sincerely live what you talk about, you sincerely every day make an effort to have godly character, to live like Christ, to have sincere faith, then they will follow suit, not because you told them they have to, not because you put rules in your house, but because... (laughs) I'm distracted by my own granddaughter. She's so cute. But because they see in you something that they want. And you know, it's never too late to start. Mums, dads, grandparents, it's never too late to start to put those principles in place in your home where you actually live it. You know, many people say to me, how come you've got all your four daughters that still love God? And three of them have married godly men who love the Lord. I'm so happy for that. Evan and Andrew are here this morning. And Garth and Jamie, of course, have pioneered a church in. Nairobi, Kenya, in Africa, over there doing the work of the Lord. They're all godly. They all love God. They all serve the Lord in different areas of our church, some areas you don't even see behind the scenes. They may be in kids' church. They may be in the prayer ministry team. They're in the cafe. They're everywhere. My kids are all over it. And people say to me, Julie, what did you do to raise such godly kids? And that they still love God. How many of you know the stats of pastor's kids falling away from church are pretty high? They're way up there. What did you do? And if you asked my girls, if you said to my girls, what's the key thing that's made you continue to follow Christ with all that you've been through, pioneering a church with your parents, you know, going through the whole sheep bite thing and people were ridiculing you and living in a fish bowl and everybody staring at you and judging you as the pastor's kids what's kept you in God and loving God to this day and they'll say this to you they'll say to you because my mum and dad they didn't just preach it they actually lived it every moment of their lives And when we saw the way that they resolved conflict, the way that they stayed sweet in their hearts, the way that they kept loving people no matter what with unconditional love, the way that they kept laying down their lives for others, the way that they woke up and they prayed and they read their word and they worshiped through the house, and worship music was on in the house all the time. When we saw the example of our mum and dad, what else could we do with our lives than to imitate that? And that's what what they're saying here in this scripture, it says, I recall your sincere faith that was alive in your grandmother, Lois, your mother Eunice. And in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, you, however, it says, you, however, you that have been given this gift, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you, know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings, which are able to give you wisdom which are able to give you wisdom, salvation through Christ Jesus. You know, just keep doing. Those of you who have had godly parents, I know Dave Hall was saying to me, I think that you have five generations of preachers. Is it? Four generations of preachers. He's a preacher's son, four generations of preachers. That's some pretty godly inheritance right there. But those of us who haven't had that, those of us who haven't had that godly inheritance, like myself, first generation Christian, you can produce something great out of your loins, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter where, if even if you're past childbirthing age, you are still in the in a candidate to multiply, to increase, to take dominion over the earth through the mothering and fathering that you can do as spiritual parents. There has never been a time in the history of the world where we more than any time need spiritual mothers and fathers to arise and to give wisdom and advice to the generation that are growing up. And those of you who are great mothers and fathers should be sowing into those that don't have mothers and fathers or don't have that influence in their lives. Amen? Yes, darling, I know. This is my... My my dear mum, as I, share, I shared with you last week, for those of you who were here, my precious mum, she actually officially came to the Lord when I was being water baptised. She had a chance to follow Christ in her 20s and just, you know, dad said, don't go there or I'll leave you, you know, I don't want a church going wife. And so she didn't pursue it. She had that opportunity and she didn't pursue it. And I said last week, I wonder how different my life would have been if in her 20s my mother would have followed Christ. But, you know, my mom, even though she was given such a, such a hard pill to swallow in her raising years, my mother was part of the stolen generation and her, her mother was stolen from her mother. Um, and my mother was moved from town to town. To town Every time the authorities came looking for her, she was on the list of the children that were to be taken from their mothers. But my grandmother kept running. My grandmother just kept running and running and running. And mum said she didn't understand why till she found out in her 60s the truth. Because it was just such a secret that she didn't even know she was Aboriginal till she was in her 60s. And she said, it's just the revelation where she was so bitter with her mum, you know, for waking her up in the middle of the night, putting her in the back of the station wagon, moving to another town. She couldn't have any friends at home. She wasn't allowed to tell anyone her last name. Her last name was changed four times in her life just to keep the identity of her Aboriginality a secret so that the authorities wouldn't take her. You know, many years later, I found all the evidence of my heritage. My my grandmother, my great grandmother, was born on Murrumbidgee River, and you know, and she she had her child taken from her, and and taken to a camp, to a cattle station, to a cattle ranch to be raised by white people, and then my grandmother, who was raised by white people on the cattle station, married the cattle station owner's son, and had two children, was pregnant with a third when he died. And then the parents said, okay, this is our chance to cleanse ourselves from this Aboriginal woman. You can leave. You get out of here. We're not employing you anymore. We're not paying you. We're not giving you a roof over your head anymore. You leave, but you must leave the children here because those children belong to the white people. And my grandmother got up in the middle of the night. She got her two children, she was pregnant and she ran, she ran. She lived right near the rabbit-proof fence and every time I watched that movie I nearly died. She ran and she ran and she ran, a brave woman running, fighting for the survival of her own children. My grandmother ended up having 13 children, one of whom got stolen and she never found but she managed to save 12 children from being taken by the authorities by running every day, she washed floors she did any manual labour that she could for her children to survive and she fought for them and my mother had no idea until she was in her 60s that this is what happened to her and why it happened because it was such a secret and when it was revealed to my mom, my mom cried and cried and she said What an incredible woman. What an incredible, I was so bitter with my mum that she made me not have friends, that she made me move all the time, that she wouldn't let me talk to authority figures. I was so bitter with my mum that I didn't have underwear, I didn't have shoes and I didn't have the things other kids had. I was bitter with my mum but now I realise my mum was a heroine. She was, she was the one who was stood for our generations to bring freedom, for our generations to say, this is not right, you're not taking our children and our children are going to live in freedom and I today am the product of a grandma mother who fought for me. And I give her all honour today. And I give honour to the Wiradjuri people and the, and the atrocities that happened to my people. And I just want to thank my grandma in heaven right now for all that she did for me. But my mom then came in, you know, into our family. All this stuff was on her, all the stuff that happened to her, all the abuse that had happened to her, all the stuff. She had so much stuff. But my mother chose in all that had happened to be the most loving, kind, the most loving person I've ever met in my life. She had the the key of unconditional love. She took in people off the streets. She fed them. She clothed them. She loved the whole neighbourhood. Everybody came to her. Everyone knew that you could go to, they all called her mum. You could go to mum's house and she would look after you. And it didn't matter what you'd done. If you were pregnant and you couldn't tell your own mother, go to mum. She'll tell you what to do and she'll help you. And that's what my mother was. And she was the most loving, gorgeous, beautiful person. You know, and when she passed away, she was doing Avon so that she could go and lay hands on the sick and preach the gospel. You know, she came to the Lord fully when I was water baptised and jumped in the water tank and said, God, I can't wait any longer, I'm coming to you. So she came to Christ after me, but she went so far past me because all she, all she had was love to give this world, love to give this world. And so she died six years ago and it was just the hardest thing to just say goodbye to her. But just recently I was going through some old things. I always keep cards. If you give me a card, um, I keep it. I've got boxes full of them. I love words. Words are so important to me. And I think the words that we speak over our children are the most important things that we can do with our mouths. To speak over our children, to speak over our spiritual children. And I found this card that my mum had written to me years before she died. Years, without even a thought. This is way before she had cancer. She struggled with cancer nine years. And this is way before she had cancer. She wrote me this card. You can put that up. And it says this, Julesy, when I think back, I can see that in many ways I could have given you a lot more. But I think God has let me give you the mantle He gave me long ago, which as I get older, I feel it is the most important in His kingdom. That is the mantle of love, of a mother's unconditional love for His people and for His family. Love as He had for us sinners, as He gave His life unconditionally. I'm so proud to pass this mantle to you, my most precious daughter and beautiful ambassador for Christ Jesus. Love as always, forever and into eternity, Mum. Wow. That's my legacy. That's my inheritance. I'm hanging on to that with everything that I have. And I found that long after she died, and when she was dying, I put her hand on my head. I said, "Mom, give me your love for people. Give it to me, Mom. I want it. I want you to live with me. She put her hand on her head, on my head as she was going. And then she saw Jesus. She smiled at Him. And she just breathed out and went to be with glory as a princess of the King. Don't underestimate people what you have in your spiritual womb, in your spiritual heart, in the mouths, in the words that you speak over your children, in, 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 in the words that you speak over each other, we can call forth greatness and beauty and wonder in all those around us when we just stand in who we are called to be, live it and then leave a legacy for the generations to come. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au We hope to see you at church soon.